Hello everyone, it's Andy here. I'm just recording this extra little bit that we didn't record during this actual recording because we mentioned that this is episode 14 and we say that we've just come back from our week's break because this was originally recorded as episode 14. However, we were unable to bring you our planned episode 13 and because Rachel is on maternity leave and we recorded all these episodes in October and November of last year, Please ignore anything which says we're back from a week's break. This is now episode 13 and then we'll take a one week break before we come on to episode 14. So sorry for any confusion. Probably added the confusion now myself. And thank you and enjoy this episode. Hello everyone and welcome back after our mid-season break for a week. I hope you've all not missed us too much. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and occasionally we also venture to renowned cases from around the globe. Now if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and if you have the capability, go and give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us, doesn't it, Rach? It does. We love hearing from you, so please do Get in touch with us however you want. Uh, give us feedback. Tell us what you like. Even tell us what you don't like. Um, and if we don't like it, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, get in touch. I'm sorry. I'm just too excited to be back recording. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and if you like us that much that you want to support us and see us carry on doing this for the foreseeable, then please do head over to Patreon where you can support us for as little as £1 a month. We have bonus content and episodes depending on your tier, and it really does help us carry on. And as with any true crime podcast, listen discretion is always advised. And today, as always, there is definitely no exception. Dun 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 dun. Indeed, we do where possible now release episodes a week early for our patron supporters. So if you want to hear next week's episode today, head over to Patreon. And it's pretty. It's a pretty weird week, really, this week, isn't it, Rach? Because for everyone, you know, we've said this enough times now, we're recording this at the end of November, and we'll most likely record the next episode at the start of March, so there's a massive gap. But for everyone out there, if you do sign up to Patreon, you'll still get it a week early. So how are you doing, Rach? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I feel like... Last couple of weeks we've been like back to back recording, haven't we? But this week yeah. it's been uh yeah, not not that often that we've got together. So uh, looking forward to today. Yeah, it's been hardcore. It has been, guys. It has been. But enjoyable. I didn't think I'd be coming out the other side saying that, but it's been enjoyable, hasn't it? Well, I've enjoyed it, have you? Yes, <laughs> I have I've enjoyed it. And when I was writing this one, I finished this off yesterday um on my lunch break. And when I was writing this one, um it was nice to get back to a case I think I've covered recently probably some more well-known ones, haven't I? I've gone off script a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. But this one, I don't think is well-known at all, so I really enjoyed nice. writing it. So, and, and just before we get into it, for those that care, I still have my cold. Yes, that's weird, it's weird. It? it is It is very weird. Anyway. Are, you, are you ready for some true crime now? I am. Let's Great. go. Great. Let's do this. If it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. 
Today, I'd like to take us back to the 25th of February, 2019. And we're in Leeds this week. So Leeds is a city in West Yorkshire, in the north of England for our non-UK listeners. It has a population of around half a million people, and it can be dated back in one form or another to the 5th century. Is it in the Doomsday Book? Yeah, it's a good few hundred years before the Doomsday Book, so yeah. When was the Doomsday Book? Uh, 1100, I think, from the top of my memory. 1106, maybe, I don't know. Don't it's a history shoot. lesson as well today, guys. Yeah, don't shoot me if I'm wrong, people. Well, Le- I'm not going to. Pre- I'm not going to tell you wrong. Leeds was once famous for its mills and other similar industries, and these days it's still the UK's third largest manufacturing centre. Most people, though, know it for one of its sports teams in various sports. Probably want to confuse everyone, but the famous Norwegian and Man City forward Erling Haaland was born in Leeds. So, you know, a different life. He could have could be playing for England right now. Boo. Indeed. So back to the day in question now, the 25th of February, 2019. And we're in the Hare Hills area of Leeds, and in particular Milan Road. It's a Monday. The time is mid-afternoon or early evening. I always get those confused, around 6pm-ish. So it will already be dark because it's February. And it was a dry, it had a slight southerly breeze. <laughs> I sound like I smoked 20 a day when I laugh then, but uh, sorry. That's, okay. that's 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 punishing me for laughing at you. Indeed. And everyone, I would have cut out my mistake, but she's laughing at me because I can't pronounce southerly. The temperature was around 11 degrees Celsius, which is around 52, 52 degrees Fahrenheit. And we were in a basement flat in Milan Road. Inside the flat, four people. Abdi Doobie, who was 34, and he lived in the flat. So it's his flat. There was a 15-year-old boy, who we can't name for legal reasons, Jody Miller, who was 21 years old, and Kara Ali Kara, who was aged between 29 and 35. His age couldn't accurately be, deter- be determined, because he at times would say he was born in 1988, which would make him 31 at the time, but he changed the year on occasion to suit him. Oh. The, re- the reason why we can't actually age him is because he was an asylum seeker from Sudan, so no records exist of his birth. Okay. Kara had been in the UK for four years, having arrived in 2015. He had claimed asylum because he said he had been politically persecuted in Sudan, having been arrested there for attending a peaceful protest and put in jail for two years as a result and suffered immense physical abuse while in jail. He had originally relocated to Newcastle and enrolled in a college there and he studied for six months before dropping out and moving to Leeds. It was when he moved to Leeds that he became a frequent user of both drugs and alcohol. Oh dear. He lived in a flat above Abdi so would be a frequent visitor to the basement flat as were lots of other people and it was a popular place for a group of friends to hang out, so it would often have a few people inside of it. He was in a flat, and he was agitated, Rach. Cara, that is. He was high, and he was drunk. And it never stated what he had taken, but just that he was under the influence. And his attention was on one person and one thing. Can you guess what that was? Getting more drugs? 
No, unfortunately not. That would have been a better option. Oh, dear. Jodie Miller, who was in the flat. Now, Jodie, who was potentially between 8 and 14 years younger than him, was also getting angry, but for good reason this time. And Jodie's a a woman? Yes, Jodie's a female, yes. Okay. So So I better check, because Kara is usually a female name. And obviously in this case, Kara is a man, so I just thought check. You see, the day previous to this, the 24th of February, Kara had repeatedly asked Jodie to have sex with him. But Jodie was not interested at all. Not only was she just not that type of person to have casual sex with anyone anyway, she was also in a loving relationship with her girlfriend. Oh. So, yeah, so Jodie kept saying no to him the day before, and also on this day too. There was no way that she would ever sleep with him. And even if she was attracted to men, though, which she wasn't, she was simply just not that type of person to go around and having casual sex anyway. Oh, dear. Now, Kara would, he would not take no for an answer, though. And at some point between 6 and 7 p.m., he offered Jodie money if he'd sleep with, if she'd sleep with him. Now, this was a tipping point for Jodie, and she said no, and she slapped him, causing an argument and a fight to break out. So when this happened, Abdi and the 15-year-old boy stepped in. They stopped to fight. And they forced Kara to leave. I, I, sorry, I'm I'm not surprised. Like, as a woman, no means no, right? Yes. And you can't just assume, oh, well, if I offer a bit of cash, it might change your mind. Like, first of all, have some self-respect as well for you as a human being. You know, she doesn't want to sleep with you. That, that's obviously going to, like, damage his ego, isn't it? But, oh, my God, just... Going straight to, okay, well, let me offer her money and see if that changes anything. Yeah. That's that's not normal behaviour, is it? No, it's not. And to be fair, I probably should have mentioned it. He also offered her money once the day before as well, and she'd already said no to him then. Um, Okay. Which is why she got more angry. But, yeah, so the the Abdi and the 15-year-old boy, they stepped in, and they forced him to leave, telling him what he was doing was wrong, which obviously it was, wasn't it? Absolutely. So Carl left the flat and he went upstairs. Now, CCTV, it was like a house, but had been broken up into like mini flats, like bedsit type things, if you get me. Okay, yeah. So, the, so there was CCTV like in the communal areas, um, which actually is crazy if you think about episode 12 when there was no CCTV in the, in the support home. Yeah, exactly. But there is in these kind of facilities yeah. where they don't require round the clock like support or yeah. potentially like medical assistance. Yeah, exactly. So, so yes, yeah, CCTV would show him going up and down between the flats a few times after he left, trying to continue the argument. And in his mind, it was just more like, how dare someone refuse to sleep with him? And how mm. dare a woman slap him if she didn't want to sleep with him? Oh, my God. So after he had been between the flats a few times, he decided he would take action, and he got a large kitchen knife from his flat. He then went downstairs with a full intention of escalating the argument. He wanted to teach her a lesson, Rachel. So when he was in the flat, he started to attack her with a knife, and also threatening Abdi and the boy 
when they tried to stop him. When the attack first started, Jordy tried to flee, understandably, to escape the attack, but he tripped her up as she tried to leave, and she was now on the floor, unable to escape or to defend herself. Oh, Jesus. So all we know, he stabbed her 15 times. 10 or 11 times in the back, twice in the head, once in the neck, and a final blow to her chest, puncturing her breastplate and damaging her internal organs and a tip lodging in her spinal cord. And I take I take it throughout this, like, she's screaming, so other people around the building are going to be able to hear the commotion. Yes. yes. Oh, my God, that poor uh, woman. And so brutal was the attack and how big the knife was, that the blade of the knife actually broke on three separate occasions. So as he stabbed on three separate occasions, I know he stabbed him more than three times, but three times it broke. And leaving at the end, Kara just holding the bloody handle of the knife. There was no blade left on the knife. Do you reckon, because that that was such a vicious attack, like, do you reckon there's a small chance that he's blacked out? And which is why he's continued even when he's broken the knife? No, not at all. Not at all, because uh, I'll tell you why. Literally, okay. it's my next sentence. Um, oh, sorry. You, know, you just you just good at knowing what I'm about to write these days. <laughs> so the attack, it would only last for three minutes in total. But to answer your question, he can't have just blocked out, blacked out because he even had the time to stop stabbing her, to threaten Abdi and the boy again, to, to kick her and to call her a prostitute before continuing the attack. So he oh, was fully wow. conscious and he knew what he was doing. Do you know what as well, like, I know you say it only took three minutes, but three minutes is a long time, and that yes. sustained, like, action. He must have had some stamina to be able to keep up with that for three minutes. You know, stabbing someone, from what I've read, is not easy. No, and, well, you would do, but don't forget, the the blade broke three times, so it would have been yeah. harder each time. Yeah, to try harder, yeah. But Jeez. he was he was high on drugs, wasn't he? He was fueled by drugs, so that okay, would have, that would have helped his adrenaline. Yeah. So once he had stopped, he warned and threatened Abdi and the boy not to snitch before right. before going back upstairs to throw the bloody handle of the knife in the bin in his flat. How how old is he again? Sorry, I know you've already. Well, told he us. was between he was between twenty nine. And 34, 35. Right, okay, yeah. It's, it's widely believed he was 31, but they couldn't prove his actual yeah. age. Yeah, no. No, I appreciate that because he's an asylum seeker, so they don't have, like, proof of um, birth. But, um, no, I was just curious about his age again. This is mad. It is. So, obviously, Abdi and the boy, the first thing they did as soon as they he left, because they were obviously scared as well, they phoned an ambulance and the police up. And uh, poor Jodie was still alive, Rachel. She was conscious and she was breathing. And she must have been so suffering so much rage. Because it's for me it's really horrible to think of. She was she was able to tell the people that she was with that she knew she was dying, that there was no hope. Like, imagine knowing that in your last moments. I know, and like everyone's been threatened. So they yes. can't help you either, and like, 
Oh, yeah, I can't imagine that. And so what, she's approximately 14, 8 to 14 years younger than um, Cara. She was 21. Yeah, right, okay, okay. Um, Yeah, that's mad because, you know, so young as well and, like, and and fit and energetic and her body's probably, like, fighting for its life. And, yeah, she's just helpless. Just to know you're dying. I imagine that as your last thoughts. It's hard. I can't think of it. I can't. So once in the hospital, a few hours after the attack, Judy would die of her injuries. Yeah, she was guilty of nothing, other than saying no to unwanted sexual advances. And that's something that should be a given for everyone, male or female, shouldn't it? Absolutely. We all have the right to make our own decisions and choices. Her life should not be taken or her, her her fate should not be in the hands of another person because she wasn't willing to have sex with them. Let's bang yes. out of order. And there was not a huge investigation needed for this one to find a culprit. Abdi and the 15-year-old boy, remember, they witnessed everything and they were more than willing to tell the police. And reports state that they were horrified and traumatised, which you would be, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, for the rest of your life, like, there's... You know, no escaping if you've witnessed that attack and then Jodie fighting for her life afterwards. So initially, Abdi would be arrested with Kara, but that was only while the police got the full story because as soon as they realised what happened, Abdi would be treated as a witness that he was, not a suspect. Good. So Kara would be taken to the hospital by the police as he had minor... Actually, I'm going to like stop recording here for a second. Or stop. Do you know, uh, Nikki told me a couple of nights ago, one of her friends works in the hospital, Matter Hospital in Dublin. Oh, yeah. And the guy who did that knife attack on the kids, he got taken in by the police after he'd been oh, arrested. Right. right. Because she had to scan him to make sure there's no other injuries, you no, know, before they processed him, the ho- yeah. yeah. him at the police station and she just said like apparently she was just like it was just really weird and she was just like didn't know how to act because she just ever obviously everyone had heard the news and here this guy was just calmly in front of her like and she had to act professional yeah after he'd like tried to kill kids yeah that's it take i take my half to medical professionals because yeah yeah, they can't discriminate can they no they can't no but yeah as i saw i just thought that was fascinating. Uh, anyway, so Carl would be taken to the hospital by the police as he had minor superficial injuries that he had sustained in the attack on Jodie. So while at the hospital, he told a nurse dealing with him that he had obtained injuries when he killed a woman that had slapped him. And again, that just shows a reason why he did it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So Carl would be charged with murder and he would be remanded to Armley Jail. He would deny the remark that what he said to the nurse. And he would also, while on remand, refuse to come out of his cell most of the time. And also he refused to speak to his defence team. It would be noted while he was on remand that he displayed subtle disturbances, some bizarre behaviour. The day after he was remanded, February 27th, so he killed Jodie on the 25th. He was charged and remanded on the 26th. And his first full day in prison, on the 27th, 
he attacked his cellmate with a kettle. Oh my god! Like yeah. with the boiling water from a kettle, or with the actual plastic kettle? I think it was with the actual plastic kettle. Jesus, you'd think that he wouldn't have anything, at least for the first few weeks in prison after such a brutal, sustained attack. You'd think he wouldn't. You'd ha- he'd have to earn like bits and pieces for his cell, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, you don't. You get it standard. You, wow. you can you can lose the stuff, but you get it standard. Um, after he had damaged his cell on March the third, he would move to a segregation unit within the prison. So it's interesting that so he attacks his cellmate on the twenty sixth. Sorry, on the twenty seventh, he doesn't get moved to a segregation unit. Then it's only when he damages his cell on the March the third that they think, okay, then now we've got to move into a segregation unit. You think it'd be the way around, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it's mad. So at some point in mid to late July, I couldn't get the exact date, but I know it was a day after his trial was supposed to have begun, he agreed to speak to and cooperate with his defence team. Wow. After after speaking to them, he entered a plea of not guilty. The day after he spoke to them and entered his plea, he went against their advice and he pled guilty to murder so there would be no trial. Oh. A number of probation and mental health reports were ordered before the sentence was passed, which is normal, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah, absolutely, because they need to make sure that they he's fit to stand for trial, so it can't be a waste of time and energy for everyone involved if they're going to say it's a mistrial because he's not fit to you know, be on the stand. Yeah, and also it depends on the sentence if he was mentally ill and stuff. That too, yeah. So on the 9th of August, while awaiting his sentencing hearing, he sexually assaulted a female nurse in the prison. Oh, my God. Allegedly. I mean, he did, but I'll get to why we have to say allegedly in a moment. But allegedly, he sexually assaulted a female nurse in the prison. Okay. On the 14th of August, the day before his sentencing hearing, he allegedly sexually assaulted two of his fellow prisoners in the complex needs unit. Come on, man. Yes. That's why I'm including this extra detail after his arrest, because it's just crazy. So on the 15th of August was his sentencing hearing, Rachel. Right. And in the reports that had been undertaken, it came out that while his behaviour was odd, once he had been on remand, indicating that there may be a mental health issue, and also taking into consideration it came out that large parts of his family members also suffered from mental health issues. Right. It was deemed that at the time of the attack, he had no mental health issues at all. In his defence, his barrister stated to the judge, because remember he's pled guilty, so this is just a sentencing hearing. So in his defence, his barrister stated to the judge that he was deeply sorry to Jody's family for what he had done and that he felt shame because of it. They stated that he had fallen... Was he though? I'm well, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but he's just carried on causing distress and abusing others. Yeah, no, I don't think he was, but obviously they're going to say that to minimise his sentence, aren't they? Fair enough. And yeah, he attacked people in prison, so obviously, yeah, you don't know what he's done before, what he's not been caught for. He also no. don't. He also don't know if it was true why he sort of sign him in the UK. If he, would, he may have been in prison for something else. 
global and peace, uh, peaceful process. I mean, we don't know. We're guessing here. Um, yeah, they said that he was deeply sorry and he felt shame. They also said that he had fallen into the wrong crowd once he had moved to Leeds and he was socially isolated, socially isolated from people who could give him the support he needed as an asylum seeker in the UK. So the prosecution argued that there was no mitigating circumstances at all, that he killed Jodie savagely because she simply said no to him and she slapped him when he wouldn't take no for an answer. Oh, right. So the judge would ultimately agree that there was no real mitigating circumstances. He would point to the devastation that it had caused on Jodie's family, especially her mum. And in her witness statement, Susan Miller, Jodie's mum, would say this. I can't sleep properly at night because I have nightmares of him being on top of Jodie, attacking and murdering her. I see Jodie screaming and shouting for me to help, but I can't get to her to save her. This is like reliving the incident. I can't escape the pain and horror even when I sleep. In my, I know, in my eyes and the eyes of Jodie's siblings, he murdered her and did this simply because she turned him down and told him no. On that night, he took my baby girl's life away from her. He decided Jodie disrespected him, so he made the decision she would pay. And how heartbreaking is that? Absolutely. The witness, um, the victim impact statements are always the worst part of uh, these kinds of cases because, of of course, your mum is going to relive your final moments of fear. She's had to sit through a court case and hear them, right? Well, no, but yeah. Well, well, she'll have been briefed by the family liaison officer, won't she? Yes. Um, about what what could come out in court if if he if he hadn't pled guilty, and um, yeah, and that's that's just going to circle in your head, isn't it? Um, for days on end, and the fact that you weren't there in her final moments when she was yeah struggling off yeah exactly is hard. So the judge would point out Rachel. In his own words, the bitter irony that Cara stopped the attack on Jodie to kick her and call her a prostitute when she was in fact the exact opposite because she had turned down his offer of sex for money. He said that Cara had an explosive rage and that he simply decided that he needed to punish Jodie for rejecting him. He would also point out the agony the horror and the terror Jodie must have been feeling when she knew and said as much that she was going to die with some of her last ever words. So he would sentence Cara to life with a minimum term of 25 years and 117 days. Wow. A few weeks after, it doesn't end here though, Rachel. Would he Would he have seen that? Um, whole sentence in the UK, or would he? Yes. Have, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, it depends. He would have to appeal to have it moved to Sudan, and the Sudan government would have to agree. But, um, and he would be deported after his sentence to Sudan anyway. But, um, yeah. but seeing as he was an asylum seeker, saying that he was persecuted in Sudan, 
Yeah. He couldn't be. I mean, the British government wouldn't have allowed him to be moved there anyway. Not yeah. doing his sentence because it contradicts why he was there. Human but, rights. Yeah, yeah. But, but they would still deport him afterwards. Wow. So a few weeks after he was sentenced to life, Rachel, yeah. on September the 4th, Carl would be found hanging in his cell. <gasps> oh, had... man. I can't. Like, yes. I did not see that come in. Yes, he had hanged himself. And he would. He didn't die instantly, though. Oh. Some would say they were happy he had a slow death, but he would die the following day in hospital. And you would have to assume that he felt he was unable to face at least 25 years in prison. But obviously we don't know why he did it. Well, maybe, maybe he couldn't live with the person he'd become. Like, obviously yeah. off the drugs, he was completely... Like out of control, wasn't he? Because he just kept on assaulting people, and yes. whether that be sexual or, or or violent, and you know, there's a small part of me that has a bit of sympathy for him. If the only way out of that was to take his own life, like regardless of the fact that others have been like damaged for life, and Jody in particular has lost her life, the fact that suicide. Felt like Kara's only way out is quite tragic. Yeah, I, I understand your um, I understand your point of view there, Rachel. Actually, so as with any unnatural death in prison, an investigation took place, and a report was produced. Actually, there was two reports produced. The report stated that the staff in the prison underestimated Kara's risks to himself during segregation periods, and that he was not given suicide and self-harm monitoring. The report also noted that aside from the kettle attack, and they alleged, that's why they were alleged, because he died before they could be fully investigated. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So aside from the kettle attack and the alleged sexual assaults inside a prison, there was also several other instances of violence by Cara that was not acted upon by the prison. Even on the day that he hung himself, he was moved from the complex needs unit to be transferred to the prison in Hull, but he attacked a prison officer in the reception of the prison, so he was placed back in the segregation unit and not moved. The report says this, and I'm quoting it because I know some of our listeners have reached out in the past and said they find these details interesting. So the report says, Mr. Cara had a number of significant risk factors for suicide and self-harm. He was facing a long sentence, a life sentence with a 25-year tariff. He had spent 120 days in the prison segregation unit over two periods. He had mental health problems. He spoke only limited English. In addition, he may have been worried about being deported to Sudan, though I accept there is no evidence that he explicitly said this to any staff. And I am concerned that prison staff were not aware of this during a failed attempt to transfer him to another prison shortly before he hanged himself. And you usually, I, like, I mean, I say it tentatively because I don't work in prisons and I'm not close to every single case where someone has attempted, but usually the, there, are, there are warning signs to put people on suicide watch that of failed attempts, but him being successful first time, I can imagine that that's really difficult for the prison staff to hear these findings because... There'd be so many prisoners that have long sentences, aren't, aren't there? 
Yes. And like, what what do you do? Do you monitor all of them? Like, you know, he'd not displayed any signs of self-harm as, as far as we're aware from what you told us until the point in which he tries to hang himself. So it's interesting for me for them to come with these findings, but you know, that that could potentially be the case for so many prisoners. It could be. I'll just finish a bit of a report off because this may explain a little bit of that as well. Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, it's, I am concerned that aspects of his segregation were not well managed. Staff did not create a mental health care plan within 30 days. Staff did not hold an initial case review when there were health care reasons not to segregate him. Staff did not complete a certain initial segregation health screens accurately. Mistakes were also made when the prison group director authorised Mr. Carr's segregation beyond 42 and 84 days. I also consider staff should have used an interpreter during complex discussions with him. So, um, so yeah, they're basically saying that they think it would have been picked up on if they had done the proper like mental health assessments and stuff. Yeah. But they weren't done. But yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. On the back of that report, a number of recommendations were made for improvements in relation to the prison care at the prison. But obviously, this is now the end of the story because Kara killed himself. So what do you think of that one, Rach? No, again, like... No one wins. There's just plenty of people left behind to pick up the pieces, aren't there, in this particular case? I mean, Cara's family, would they have been made aware of any of this? They would have been because they had to be spoken to during for the sentencing reports because that's where they got the mental health issues. And apparently he had one brother in the USA who lived there. And the rest of his family still lived in Sudan. So, yeah, they they were fully aware of what he did and what was happening to him. That's the thing, then. Like, being so far away and knowing what's happened to him um, or is happening to him at the time, maybe even during the trial, um, they would have probably been mourning, like, the loss of their son their brother you know who he used to be what happened what happened when he'd come to the uk and discovered drugs and had taken that like tragic path like you know everyone's impacted by the actions of this man and and also if you want to say it you know the failings of the prison because he's no longer alive as well yeah yeah and even down to things like the prison officers who have to find people's like that, find their bodies if they're dead or, you know, try and resuscitate them if they're not. And even people like that are impacted. Everyone's impacted, aren't they? It's just, it's a terrible thing. All just because the very first time, the day before Jodie was killed, when she said no, he should have just accepted that and moved on. It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest, take it back to basics. Like, what did we say earlier? No means no. Like, yes. I get it. He was high, probably feeling a little bit brave. But she'd not just turned down on this one occasion. There'd been multiple. 
occasions and then the offering of, of money in exchange for sex is just insulting if I'm being honest um even if you are a sex worker um if you say if you have said no if you have declined um it is fucking inappropriate to be saying well I'll pay, I'll pay you for your services like yeah definitely and and you know like it ultimately comes down to some people just can't handle when their pride is entered when their ego is entered can they Sorry, what was that? Some people just can't handle when their pride is entered, when the ego is entered. Yeah, absolutely. But again, like, how often do we say it in these recordings? Their brains aren't wired to think logically that, fair enough, your pride is dented, ego is dented. You might not want to be in her company ever again, and certainly around other people that have witnessed your behaviour. You don't go to the kitchen, get a knife, and then stab somebody fifteen times, do you? Like no, that is don't. not that is not standard behavior. Um which is like where we just can't comprehend um the steps that he took that evening. And do you know what I think about Rachel in, in situations like this when we talk about it? Like in this instance, Abdi and the boy, the 15 year old boy, like A, they've got to live through the trauma of seeing someone be killed in front of them. And B, no matter what anyone says to them, they will also carry guilt for the rest of their lives that they didn't do something to stop. I know realistically he would have probably attacked them too, but in their minds, they won't see. They won't be able to balance it out. They'll just think, "Well, I could have stopped." Like, like, I, I, even Abdi could be like, "Well, why didn't I lock my door and stuff like that?" You know what I mean? It's yeah, a hundred percent. There's so many, there's so yeah. many like things that could have, yeah, avoided it. And that's that's the tragedy in this case. Like, well, there's so many aspects to it, aren't there? And and like I said, no one wins because Kara took his own life, and for him to be in that dark place, that that's really tragic as well. I think you're right. So shall I wrap this one up then, Rachel? Yeah, let's go for it. So this has been season four, episode 14, called No Means No. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. It's a simple word, no. It should be a powerful word that would make people stop whatever they were doing. Why do some people think it means the opposite? Yes. Will society ever learn and see how they can deal with this problem? So a few deep questions for you there, Rachel, uh, for everyone to think about. And until next time, uh, we'll try and have something maybe a little bit lighter for next week. Until next time, take care, everyone. Take care. Bye. (laughs) 